You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that So I didn't exactly do a tally to see if we have enough uh, Patreon questions, but it kind of doesn't matter because as I've told you before, I can be bought and paid for. And so I got a hefty response on Patreon yesterday in the, ver- in the uh, form of a uh, new patron and somebody upping their pledge. And I thought, you know what? As far as are we going to do Patreon Sunday, I think the answer has to be yes. So the way that we'll do this, first of all, thank you to Mr. Will Zinvich. I just read your last name and realized I've been saying your name wrong this whole time. I I thought for sure it was Zinvich. I don't know how I got rid of that essay. I'm going to say that it's just like, you know, it's one of those things where you just say it so quickly and it's like very like Eastern European and it's like, oh yeah, you just don't even say that part. I don't know why I threw an Eastern European. I just felt like it sounded smart if I said that. So we're going to work from now on. Uh, your family is from, you know, Slovenia, Slovakia, something like that. It's got a V and an S and whatnot. But thank you very much for not only upping your pledge, but for paying up for the year. And then Mr. Sean Roach, Roche, Roche, who also decided to up his pledge quite a bit and has told me it does not work. So let me, um, I don't, I don't know why the link just doesn't, it said it was supposed to be a permanent link. Like what happens when I click on it? What does it say? It says it works. What are you talking about? It doesn't work. It says accept invite when I click on it. What does it say when you click on it? I'll get you your own private link, I guess, but I think it still works. Because last time when I clicked on it, I was like, oh yeah, this link sucks. doesn't work. I just commented a link for you. Anyways, um, thank you guys very much because you have uh, single-handedly created a Packernet podcast out of thin air. If you did not know that I am a dirty, filthy, greedy capitalist by now, now you know. My main goal in life is to turn Packernet into a corporation so I can brag about being a large part of corporate greed. Unfortunately, now I am just single-handedly greedy, and that's, you know, you got to take it up a notch, man. You got to, you know, there's no greed like corporate greed. And I'm just, I'm not at that level, you know? I'm just, I'm basically a street performer. I play a little song on my guitar, and then I'm like, hey, you guys want to give me a dollar? I'm hoping to get it to the big time where I am uh, a corporation that just goes to the government. And I'm like, look, just give me their money. All right. I don't want to have to ask them. Let me just ask you and you just give it to me. Just cut you guys out of the equation. They don't even have to do podcasts anymore. I just beg the government for money and they just pump me full of stuff and I don't have to care anymore. (laughs) Sorry. I I just had to go with some social commentary there. Is there anything worse than that? that? That little collusion that goes on there? It's funny because we fracture as a country, like half the country's like, government is horrible. And the other countries, the other half is like, corporations are terrible. It's like, no, dude, it's when the two come together and they form Captain Horrible. That's when it's problems. So can we agree on that? Nope. Only we'll like my team. Okay, well, then we suck. Anyways, um, just a f- fair warning. I've been a little bit sick and I took a hefty dose of NyQuil. And for some reason, my eyes snapped awake at four o'clock in the morning and I cannot go back to sleep. And that's literally never happened in my life. Usually when I take NyQuil, I am dead to the world. So I might be a little bit NyQuil woozy on top of just slamming a monster. So I don't know what that creates. Maybe, maybe a monster. I don't know. But things might get a little interesting. So now I'm getting distracted 
playing with the voice. What do the voice things do in Discord? You just jump in there with other people and start talking, or what? I don't need. I don't need to do this right now. It's fine. I think I'm. I think I'm going to. I'm just gonna hang out in the voice thing, and if somebody wants to jump in here and listen to me record the podcast, that's uh, that'd be fine. It's an extra perk of the podcast. I'm just gonna record it live in there, and you can listen to it uh, prior to. Anyways, um, got a question from TK in the Packernet Patreon Discord. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can jump in at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. There will be a link there to the Discord group. You can jump in there, ask questions, and um, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, TK jumped in. He said, hey, Ryan, I know you've mentioned you think Rondale Moore could be a nice addition to the team. I know he has a lot to be excited about, but I'm wondering your thoughts on his hands. I've read reports he's had some trouble with uh, his consistency catching balls. It makes me nervous. Takes me back to another Moore that we drafted with uh, similar issues, Jamon Moore. Uh, We all know how that worked out. Thoughts. So I I have to start with the last part, and I don't mean to be flippant because I know exactly what you're talking about. But but let's let's just analyze it just to kind of alleviate some of those specific fears. Jamon Moore uh, played four years at Missouri. His grades were 53, 58, 65, and then in his final year, a 77.2. Rondale Moore, in his three years, has had an 88, 77, and 80.9 overall grade. So suffice it to say, and I, I again, I understand that the crux of your question is drops, but there's more to... Rondale more than just or Jamon more than just drops. It wasn't like he's a great receiver that if he could just catch the ball would have been better. He struggled to just be a good receiver. And the fact of the matter is he wasn't that great in college. He had kind of one big breakout year. Another thing to get to the more specific note, the drop issue with Jamon Moore was known. And you you maybe remember that, but um if we just look here, they have what, you know, just as far as uh snapshot, they give grades as far as your drops. His grades were 17, 57, 48, and 59. So he never even had an average grade when it comes to drops. In terms of the actual statistics, on six targets in 2014, this is how he got a 17 overall grade, he dropped two of them. He caught two of them. So six targets, two catches, two drops. Um, 2015, he had more opportunities, 64 targets. He had 29 receptions and four drops. Out of 122 targets, he caught 62, he dropped 10. And then in 2017, 97 targets, he caught 65, he dropped 8. He dropped 24 passes in four years. If we look at Rondell Moore, um, he he did have 7 drops in 2018, which seems kind of high, but his drop grade that year was an 82.9. His grades over the three years as far as drops, 82.9, 64, and 90.6, which is to say in 2020, literally zero issues with drops because he didn't drop a single pass. In 2019, statistically, he had three drops on 38 targets, which is relatively high, which is why he had a 64 overall grade. But I don't think there's very many concerns. Drops, like a lot of these other statistics, I don't exactly have a metric. But let me do this. Let's look at Packers receivers and kind of get an idea of where he ranks as far as uh, some of these other guys. We can kind of get a feel this for this together. Again, he graded out fine, so PFF isn't worried, but I want to get statistically an idea of whether or not this is good or bad. So when I look at the metric, I think it makes more sense to look at it as a proportion to his receptions as opposed to his targets, because if you include targets, you're including all the bad passes. If you take receptions and drops, you're taking the totality of passes that were in his range as far as what he could catch. Does that make sense? 
we're, we're 100% taking out all the bad passes and saying, so 178 receptions and 10 drops. We're saying 188 passes were catchable. How many did you catch compared to drop? So 178 receptions, 10 drops. We're saying out of out of uh, 188 passes that were catchable, 5.6% were dropped. If we look at Devante and his career, he's got 44 drops on 609 receptions is a uh, percentage of 7.2. So that that's actually higher. Now he's gotten better over the years. This this year in particular, um, 133 receptions, only two drops, which is why he was so good. But just last year, 2019, which is a pretty good year also, he had 100 receptions. He had nine drops. If we look at MVS, who I know everybody is kind of concerned about his hands as it is, but he's at 12%. So that's that's not great. 12% of the time when Rodgers throws a pass that is catchable, he's dropping it. That sucks. If you look at Alan Lazard, I think it's even higher, 12.7%, which is, I'm going to be completely honest, is kind of uh, shocking. He actually had a 29 uh, drop grade on 40 receptions this past year, he had seven drops. So, yikes. Uh, Equinemius has had a smaller sample size, but only two drops on 30 receptions and 50 targets, which is 6.7%. It's the lowest we've talked about so far, but still higher than Rondale Moore at 5 point whatever percent. Uh, Darius Shepard, again, extremely small sample size, but he's at 16.7% because <laughs> he has one drop and only six receptions. The only other guy is is Malik Taylor, but he doesn't have any drops on five receptions. So, you know, I'm not going to say he's he he doesn't he's got issues with with drops to a very minor degree, like a lot do. I'm sure you can find more sure-handed wide receivers, but it's not to the point of saying he has a problem with it. His career drop rate is less than literally every single wide receiver we currently have. And again, you don't like to see seven drops. Um, in 2018, but really the only year that was kind of bad, um, as a statistical rate, as well as, um, PFF grade was three drops and 29 receptions in 2019. So no, I don't, I don't really think so. I don't know. Let me look at some of these other things and see if somebody's mentioning him having drop issues. I don't know where you would have seen that. Since we're talking about him, let's run through a little bit of this PFF stuff. His NFL comp on their, uh, whatever you call it, is Steve Smith. So that's kind of cool. Uh, they don't have his hands as a pro or a con. Bottom line on him, you can call him short, but you can't call him small. Moore has the physicality to win in diverse ways. That's what, why the comp came to be what it is. Because Steve Smith didn't get bullied by anybody. Uh, pros and cons on him. One of the most electric players with the ball in his hands in college football. As strong, as strong of a 180-pounder as you'll see in college football, contact rarely slows him down. Elite start-stop ability can go from 0 to 100 and 100 to 0 in a blink of an eye. Sneaky good route runner and ball skills. He just didn't get to show it often. The negatives on him, likely not going to be a complete receiver at that size, maybe pigeonholed into a slot in the NFL. Ton of scheme production in Purdue's offense. 47 of his 117 catches in 2018 were screens, which isn't great, but it also could play into what Matt LaFleur does because he's he's got plenty in his playbook for scheme-related stuff. Uh, limited route tree, mainly underneath stuff, only 11 intermediate catches in 2018, and I've pointed that out as well. I've gone through his exact snap counts, and they're, ext- I mean, massive drop-off when you start looking at deep passes and stuff. And then finally, only played seven games over the past two seasons due to injury. 
Jeez, I don't usually come to the draft network very much. Do they have Baron Browning as the number 18 overall prospect? I just haven't listened to their uh, podcast either. That's kind of surprising. I need to do better at that stuff. Um, I'm just seeing if they said anything about Rondale Moore in his hands. So here is what, um, who wrote this? Kyle Krabs? Kyle Krabs wrote this. He has a specific section just about his hands. So let's go with this and we'll call it a day. Moore has had a handful of drops over the games I studied off his college resume. I wouldn't classify him as having poor or even average hands. He's fully capable of catching the football away from his body and has shown competency in extending his catch radius. That said, the drops he does have appear tied to a limited catch radius on account of a lack of length, but also concentration drops as he looks to work his eyes up to identify yards after the catch opportunities. He's not an accuracy eraser in any capacity, and his quarterback will need to feed him accurate throws in stride if he's going to play to his full potential, which shouldn't be a problem. So, yeah, I think I think somebody just misspoke. Some Somebody, whatever resource you're utilizing that said he has drop issues, it's just not correct. He doesn't have elite hands. He's probably just somewhat of an average to to possibly even above average based on what we talked about with comparing to the Packers receivers, probably an above average catch rate or catch to drop ratio or whatever. I don't know. I'm good at math. I just hate terminology. So I just, I throw out terms that don't make sense and make it sound like I'm an idiot when it comes to that stuff. I just don't care. Whatever you want to call it is fine. But uh, hopefully that uh, sufficiently answers your question. Pack superfan. This is one I'd like to kind of skip over and really take some time, but I, I can, because it's not a super deep question, it's just kind of which one did you prefer, I'll, I'll look at it, because I can just go back and look at our, our draft history. But he says, since it's draft season, and draft and develop is so important for NFL teams, especially for the Packers since the start of the Ted Thompson era, love to hear you go back to Ted's first draft class and review all his drafts, and then Goot's draft classes, and pick the draft classes that were your favorites at the time. Not how they turned out, but which ones did you like at the time and then some you did not like at the time? So, full disclosure, I wouldn't say I'm new to the draft, but I'm new to, like, you know, draft season, like being a passionate draft fan. That's relatively new. I I commonly reference my favorite prospect of all time was Jadavian Clowney, and that was because that was my first year really digging into the draft, and I, I just all I did was watch highlight reels. So obviously, if you just watch highlight reels, those are going to be your favorite prospects of all time. I didn't know any better. And there weren't a fraction, a fraction of the resources we have today. It's unbelievable, the wealth of of stuff we have today. There's so many people that do such good work. Some of them just grind for the sake of grinding just because they love it. And there's just so much free stuff out there that you can access. So as far as a lot of these drafts, I mean, I remember like back in the 90s um, when they were like, I swear there were 500 million uh, rounds, but I've always been a big Packer fan. So the draft would happen and I would like get excited. I didn't know any of the prospects. I knew nothing, but I still wanted to see who the Packers picked. So I'd go in grandma's living room. And I remember plopping down on the floor and just watching the ticker go by and like waiting for the Packers pick. And it was so boring. Just sitting there, like it wasn't even as big of a spectacle, if I remember. Like it was more, I don't know, it wasn't quite as exciting. And you try to get excited, but I don't know anybody. And you're just kind of waiting and you're watching other teams. And this is back before I even cared about the NFL. I was just a Packers fan. I didn't know who played for what other teams unless you're a superstar. I didn't care. I just watched the Packers. And so I, I could not maintain that level of excitement. 
And after a while, I just, I just kind of dipped. And to be fair, that's kind of how it is today. Like I'm super excited. And then that first round pick, and then I'm excited for the second. And then as, as the names, I don't really recognize start getting picked. It's like, yeah, I don't care. And and even the commentators do such a bad job, which by the way, um, I'm planning to do a live stream. Nothing is a hundred percent concrete. So I'm not going to like make a big announcement about it, but um, I'm planning on doing a live stream with another Packers personality so I would encourage you to, to come and stream with us because it's going to be much more entertaining because we're actually going to get excited and talk about the Packers as opposed to these other guys when it's like the Packers make the pick and they don't even talk about it. Like it, once you get to like the fourth round, they're still talking about first round quarterbacks because the media is so dumb. All they care about is quarterbacks. That's it. Like, you know, go back a couple years and it's like the Packers made their pick and they'll bear in the first round. They would talk about it for about five minutes and then they go back to talking about Baker Mayfield. Like, dude, not everybody's a Browns fan. I understand that all you do is sit around and like, you know, (laughs) I can't say the things I want to say, but you guys get very excited about quarterbacks all day long. I understand that that's all you care about. That's all you want to talk about, even though we're sick to death of hearing about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, and that's all you've talked about 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The the least exciting thing about this draft is going to be the first couple picks because those are the only picks we already know. The exciting part is after that, but that's all the media wants to talk about. It's so stupid. And then again, you get into like the third, fourth, fifth round, and it, the Packers, you'll see the pick come across the, the bottom, and they're just going off on some video that they produced, and they're still talking about some guys in the first round. It's like, can you tell me five words about the player the Green Bay Packers just picked? Can you give me five seconds of your time to talk about history that was just made here? Can you, can you do that or no? And they can't. But we can, and we will. Anyways. As I'm kind of combing through, I mean, there's names here I love, but I don't even remember the picks being made. If you go back to 2000, and 2005 was Ted's first year, but you go back to 2000, you got Bubba Franks, who I loved, Chad Clifton, Niall Diggs, Kabir Baja Biamilla in the fifth round, Mark Tauscher in the seventh round. I mean, what an awesome draft. I don't remember any of those draft picks when they happened. Then you got 2001, I don't even know these guys. Jamal Reynolds, Pahoa Jew, Bill Ferrario. I have no idea. But let's look at 2005, which is um, the first year. The Aaron Rodgers pick, I I more remember the conversations after the fact than I remember the, the pick when it happened. And I remember somebody who will remain unnamed because obviously it is a, an embarrassment that I don't want to throw back in their face. But they were very upset because they said Rodgers is a bum and Alex Smith is is the better quarterback. Not that we had a choice. I, I, at the time, it felt like we had a choice, but obviously we didn't. But anyways, not super happy about the pick. But then you got Nick Collins, another great pick. Uh, Brady Papinga was obviously a contributor for a long time. As far as analyzing it, I don't know, man. I mean, that that's 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 the thing, man. That, that was his big stake in things. And that's what happens when you're a new GM and you come in and you recognize that you're taking over a team that is sort of a, a, a dying star. I mean, you're inheriting what has been over a decade of incredible play, and you've got a fan base that expects to win. It's been like almost 15 years of just pretty solid domination, but you can only ride that out for so long, so you are coming in to build the new future. And sometimes fans don't like that. They don't want that. Uh, You know, Jordan Love, ring a bell. They don't want that. They just want this, what we have now, to last forever because they refuse to acknowledge that it has to come to an end. And again, the, the funny thing is when, when people who are mad about the Jordan Love pick try to pretend like people understood that Aaron Rodgers was a better prospect. People hated Aaron Rodgers. After we drafted him, people hated Aaron Rodgers. They refused to let it go. 
just like Jordan Love. I mean, he was literally booed in the stadium. You had protests. You had people getting at Ted Thompson's face, talking about the Turlet Bowl. The only place Aaron Rodgers is going to take us to the Turlet Bowl. Is that guy from Chicago, or what, 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 what was that accent? I guess that could be northern Wisconsin, but do they say Turlet up there? Is that like a southern term? I don't know. But I will say definitively, one of the picks I remember was in 2006. Now, I don't know... I feel like I wasn't working at the airport at the time. In fact, I couldn't have been, but it felt like I was. But I remember the A.J. Hawk pick, and I remember being super excited because even back then, I loved violent linebackers. And this guy's name is Hawk? Like, I didn't know the prospects coming in, but you're telling me the Packers drafted and early, right? We had an early pick, pick five overall. Obviously, that didn't pan out as much as we'd all hoped, but I definitively remember that. Some other great picks in that uh, draft. You got Greg Jennings in the second round. You had Darren College, uh, Darren College in the second round, uh, Jason Spitz in the third, Will Blackman was a contributor in the fourth, Johnny Jolly, sixth round pick, was always a fan of Johnny Jolly, got himself into some trouble, came back and helped us later. There's also something very obvious about these picks, and that is the amount of picks. There's always so many picks, and that, that was, you know, not that he had a lot of control over how many he had in 2005, but that was a characteristic that obviously was very popular for the Green Bay Packers quantity. But I, but you, I got to be honest, man, just going through this, th- there's some really, really good picks. And you can see where the quantity comes in because you got these sporadic hits. It wasn't a great hit rate, you know, like in 2007, Justin Harrell, Brandon Jackson, like, eh. but we got James Jones in the third, got Desmond Bishop and Mason Crosby. It's something, right? Now, by today's standards, Packer fans would lose their mind and say this guy's trash and should be fired all the way back in 2007 because they demand about a 75% hit rate, which just doesn't exist. I don't know if this has always been a thing or if it's a new thing or how that works. But even in his heyday, right? I mean, go back again, Aaron Rodgers, Nick Collins, and what? Well, you had Brady Papinga, who was okay in, in the fourth round. Uh, but you had Terrence Murphy, Marviel Underwood, Janius Costin. Uh, Michael Hawkins, Mike Montgomery, Craig Bragg, Kurt Campbell, and Will Whitaker. That's a lot of misses, but as Aaron Rodgers. In 2006, you had Aaron ha- A.J. Hawk, Darren College, Greg Jennings. That's a crazy trio. But you had Abdul Hodge, you had Corey Rogers, you had Ingle Martin, you had Tony Maul, you had Tyrone Culver, and Dave Tollefson. I don't even know these names. I just list, I just read the names I don't even remember. A couple of them, I guess I remember, but I, you know. 2008, Jordy Nelson in the second round. We had three picks in the second round, though. The other two were Brian Brom and Pat Lee, a defensive back. We had uh, Jermichael Finley in the third round, which I still to this day think was a massively overrated player for a Green Bay Packers. Packer fans act like that is this great elite tight end. I would classify that as a borderline draft bust. Now, he's a third-round pick, so you can only get so much out of him. But, I mean, I just, I just, I so vividly remember every year hearing, this is the year he's finally going to break out. This is the year he's finally going to break out. And he never did. You want to talk about drop issues. Oh, my goodness. Right? But then again, Josh sitting in the fourth round. Right? Matt Flynn in the seventh round. So, it's just, it's one of these things where it's, the hit rate isn't great, and he commonly missed on early picks, but he's going to get those couple guys. And it's, it's like the sixth round, second round, doesn't matter what round it is. Eventually, he's going to get two or three guys, and they're great contributors that played for a long time. Now, I will, if, if I can stay here in 2008 for a while, this one is the one I was working at the airport, and I remember being real excited about Jordy Nelson. Not because I knew anything about him, I just thought it was kind of funny because we got this white, lanky wide receiver, and I thought that was kind of funny. Our first pick is a guy named Jordy. 
And I remember when he even played for the team, it was, you know, when he caught a pass, it was like, hey, white guy got one. That's hilarious. Way to go, buddy. Turns out he was pretty good. Uh, 2009 is BJ Raji, Clay Matthews, TJ Lang as the first several picks. Now, we didn't have a second or third round pick uh, because of BJ Raji and Clay Matthews. I remember how that all planned out. But um, as your first three picks, especially when you don't get a second round, a third round pick, and you don't hit again until round four, and you massively hit on round four and get TJ Lang. I mean, he was he was a backup for a long time, but he could have... That was one of those things where we had backups that could have been starters on 90% of the league. And he did end up being a starter and a very good one. But at the time, it's like, oh, you're... you're, you're. <laughs> and that's also part of the reason why I love offensive lines so much. I've seen how good the teams are that we have when we have good offensive lines. There's a very strong correlation between Brett Favre's best teams in offensive line, Aaron Rodgers' best teams in offensive lines, including 2020. Some of the best offensive line play we've seen probably since the last time we won the Super Bowl, and uh, we had the best offense in football made it to the NFC Championship game. And one of the biggest failings in that game was the offensive line. 2010, Balaga, Morgan Burnett, Andrew Corliss, James Starks. I mean, what a draft. I mean, you want to talk about a hit rate. There weren't many picks here. You had Brian Balaga, Mike Neal, who played for a little while, was a contributor. Morgan Burnett, fantastic third-round pick. Andrew Corliss, as far as Packers tight ends go, he's as good as the rest, and he was a fifth-round pick. Marshall Newhouse was kind of rough. James Starks in the sixth round was fantastic. And then C.J. Wilson in the seventh round. I mean, that's most of that draft class at least contributed, at least. Um, 2011, Probably tainted a lot by Derek Sherrod, one of one of the darker um, moments in dr- Packers draft history. <laughs> that just never even came close to panning out. You did have Randall Cobb in the second round, which was obviously awesome. You had Alex Green in the third round, Devon House in the fourth, who eh, contributed. And then Williams, uh, Schlotteraff, I don't know, a bunch of guys. Not a good draft. But again, you still get Randall Cobb, who's a massively good player for many, many years. So I don't want to just go over every single pick. I'm just trying to think which one jumps out to me. I know the 2013 draft class, I just really, 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 really liked Eddie Lacy. And I was super excited we got Jonathan Franklin on the back end of that. That was such a fun class. And we don't usually, I shouldn't say that because we've been drafting wide receivers. We got Randall Cobb and, you know, I guess Jordy was several years before. So it was several years later. It just felt like we didn't get a lot of really fun weapons. And we've never really had good running backs. And Eddie Lacy was like, this new thing. Like, we just don't have good running backs. We've never had good running backs. And now not only do we get Eddie Lacy, but you get this thunder and lightning with Eddie and Jonathan Franklin. Man, that was so exciting. Not to mention, by the way, we got David Bakhtiari in this draft. We got Micah Hyde in this draft. And as much as I rag on seventh round picks, our third, our final of three seventh round picks was Sam Barrington. Not an elite player, but he contributed as a linebacker for many years. If that's not my favorite, it's up there. Now, some of the newer ones, as I've started to get much more into the draft, are going to get start start to get exciting. Um, 2014 is another one that, I mean, you want to talk about Ted Thompson at his best. 2013 is that. And then 2014, first round, haha, Clinton Dix, underrated Packer. He just is. I know he's not as good as you wanted him to be, and I know he had some issues and all that, and he never quite seemed to reach his full potential. He was a good football player. He kind of is in that A.J. Hawk camp where if he was like a fourth round pick, we would love him, but he's a first-round pick, and he had some issues, and so we just we hate him. Underrated player. Devontae Adams in the second round. Kyrie Thornton in the third round. Not great, but a contributor. Richard Rodgers in the third round. Again, classic Packers tight end. A guy that you every year you hope you can upgrade him, but you're always kind of glad he's there. He's just good enough. 
Carl Bradford contributed. We got Corey Lindsley in the fifth round, Jared Abraderis in the fifth round, Dimitri Goodson, and Jeff Janis. There's not a single guy in this class that didn't play. Not a single one. Some of them didn't play as well as we'd like, but Jeff Janis was at the at worst an ace in the draft. Dimitri Goodson wasn't great, but he played. Jared Abraderis, same thing. He never really reached that potential, but we got excited about him. The Wisconsin guy. Lindsley's just a freak of a football player. What a great draft. And of course, Devontae was the second pick in that draft. But that's when it all kind of unraveled, and you have one of his worst drafts. And I think we mischaracterized. Just going through some of this, some of these were really bad. Um, In 2015 was Demarius Randall, Quentin Rollins, Ty Montgomery, Jake Ryan, Brett Hundley, Aaron Ripkowski, Christian Ringo, and and Kennard Backman. And a lot of us say that that's like his worst draft ever, and that's when things ever always started to unravel. It was surely a, a surely a decline after what great years he had in 2013 and 2014. But is it worse than, um, I mean, I guess it didn't have like that one great pick. But again, 2007, Justin Harrell, Brandon Jackson, he did have James Jones, but Aaron Rouse, Alan Barber, David Clowney, Corey Hall, Desmond Bishop, Mason Crosby, Deshaun Wynn, and Clark Harris. I don't know, man. I mean, we we did get players out of that draft. I mean, we missed on the first two, which stinks. Ty Montgomery played. Jake Ryan, I thought, was decent. I mean, as far as tackling goes. Aaron Ripkowski was fun for, like, a a, a game. It, it was a bad class, but I, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's not definitively the worst, in my opinion. I think what probably would make it the worst, despite the fact that there's more contributors here than you find in other draft classes is the fact that there isn't that one guy that's like, that guy was good, though. Like, it was a bad class, but we got that guy. You know, like Randall Cobb saved um, 2011. Because outside of that, it's a terrible class. Derek Sherrod, Alex Green, Devon House, DJ Williams, Karich Schlauteroff, DJ Smith, Ricky Elmore, Ryan Taylor, and Lawrence Guy. Are you kidding me? If he didn't get Randall Cobb in the second round, that was way worse. Way worse than 2015. Uh, 2016 was also, I would say, a pretty bad class. Kenny Clark saved it, but at the time, I don't think I really liked Kenny Clark. I I shouldn't say that. I did like Kenny Clark, but it was a surprising pick. He was not expected to go, I guess, that early, although there was somebody that predicted it in Packers' Twitter Twitter sphere or blogosphere or whatever. I think he wrote for uh, Lombardi Avenue. But Jason Spriggs, Kyler Fackrell, Blake Martinez, Dean Lowry, blah, blah, blah. So, again, it started to go downhill pretty, pretty rapidly. And then you follow that up with another just absolute dog of a draft. Kevin King, again, not great. And of course, there's there's that uh, T.J. Watt thing. And I know everyone's tired of hearing that, but it just, it is. It's, it was a bad decision. We should have taken T.J. Watt instead of trading back. Because the other guy we picked up with that extra pick was Vince Beagle, who I don't even think made it to the regular season, which is shocking. That never happens. So, I mean, it was just, it was a miss, but it happens, right? Everybody has misses. I mean, most of these picks are misses. Followed up with Josh Jones, which wasn't great. Montrevious wasn't great. Vince Beagle was terrible. Jamal Williams was a good, and, th- and that's the thing. Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones saves this from being a historically bad draft. But yeah, D'Angelo Yancey was a terrible pick. Kofi Amichia was a bad pick. Devontae Mays I really liked, but he didn't stick around. And Malachi Dupree in the seventh was nothing. If it wasn't for Aaron Jones and Jamal, again, this is a historically terrible draft class. 2018 is when our guy takes over. And again, I think it should give you some context because even Ted Thompson in his quote-unquote heyday had much worse picks. Jair Alexander, best corner in all of football, is his first ever pick. Josh Jackson, not great. Oren Burks, not great. Jamon Moore, not great. Cole Mad- Again, his first draft was his worst draft by far. Cole Madison didn't pan out. J.K. Scott, I'm, I'm sorry, I know you're still mad about it, is a good pick. 
He's had a couple rough punts, no question about it. But again, we're in our own little bubble, and we don't realize everybody has bad punts. But as far as the rest of the the group goes, he's a top-five punter in the NFL. MVS in the fifth round. Again, look at all the other fifth-round picks in that, that range. Nobody, nobody from like the third round until the end of the draft, with the exception of maybe one guy, is even playing in the NFL right now. MVS is a starter. Not as good as we hope, but... It's still a halfway hit. You got Equinemius St. Brown, James Looney, Hunter Bradley, and Kendall Donerson. Again, not his best, but again, even Ted Thompson's drafts, most of them were characterized by lots of picks, mostly misses, but there's that one guy that's a great pick. And in this draft, it was Jair. But then you get to 2019, Rashawn Gary. Don't really know yet, but it's starting to look like it's at least got a lot of potential. Darnell Savage is starting to look like a great pick. We don't know yet, but it's starting to look like a great pick. Elton Jenkins, great pick. Jace, possibly a bust, but again, he's right on track with exactly where Robert Tunyon was in his career. Let's give him one more year. Kingsley Kiki, I don't know yet. I'm thinking I'm kind of over it, but we'll see. He's had some flashes. Kadar Holman hasn't had any opportunities. Dexter Williams, I like, hasn't had opportunities. Packers don't seem to like him. Ty Summers, some of you guys like him, I'm over it. I think that's a pretty solid draft. And again, remember, 2018, he was the GM for like a month. I mean, I'm exaggerating. I think he got hired in January, but like he didn't have the opportunity. I mean, he was in the building, he was in the meetings and all that, but he didn't get to run the ship his way. He didn't get to really do his thing as a GM for an entire cycle of a season. He took Ted Thompson's information and used that and tried to do his best with that draft class, and he came away with the best corner in football. Then you have 2020, Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Josiah DeGuara, Kamal Martin. So Jordan Love, we don't know yet. Don't know. A.J. Dillon, don't know, but he looks like he's going to be a stud. Josiah, I'm extremely excited about Josiah. We'll see. He got hurt, so we didn't get a chance to see him. Extremely excited. Kamal Martin, I hated that pick. He was one of the best rookie linebackers in football. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, then you got John Runyon, Jake Hansen, Simon Stepniak. Again, we don't know. Jake Hansen was a practice squad guy. He got no opportunities, but again, he's the guy that's a full-time center. John Runyon, most of you guys like him. He was a guy that just filled in and did a decent job. Simon Stepniak, again, hurt, COVID, everything else, didn't get any opportunities. Vernon Scott got very few opportunities, but graded out fine. Jonathan Garvin hasn't played very much, probably won't. I mean, it's, it's not a bad draft class yet. Worst case scenario, Jordan Love is a terrible pick, and that was a miss. Josiah doesn't pan out, and you know it ends up being A.J. Dillon is decent, Kamal Martin is decent, and that's it, in which case it's a bad draft class. Best case scenario, Jordan Love is the quarterback of the future, and then the rest of the draft doesn't even matter. Again, go back to 2005. How many people are going to say this is a trash draft because of Terrence Murphy, Marville Underwood, Brady Papinga, which he was, he was fine. Uh, Janius Costin, Michael Hawkins, Mike Montgomery, Craig Bragg, Kirk Campbell, Will Whitaker. Like, there's so many misses here. But Aaron Rodgers and Nick Collins were the first two picks. Nobody cares about what happened after that. So, um, I mean, as, again, as far as excitement, what is my favorite draft? Not necessarily in terms of how it turned out, but at the time, which one was I most excited about? I think it was 2013. And I know that sounds silly because they were running backs, but it was just a blend of not really knowing very much, but knowing enough and really wanting a good running back and getting it and getting that that complimentary thing and then how that Eddie Lacy thing turned out and just I, that was one of the more exciting drafts for me I think Eddie Lacy and that's part of the reason probably I really am still a huge Eddie Lacy fan that pick got me so excited so very long winded explanation of all that but I wanted to kind of be able to relive this and again I don't really remember sitting down and watching a lot of these um, what year was Clowney drafted looks like 2014. So it was the Ha Ha Clinton Dix year was the first year. And that makes sense. Because again, I remember 
looking into all the prospects. Not enough that I knew who Devontae was necessarily, but I remember looking into all the prospects and remembering very vividly that HaHa Clinton Dix was the best in the class. We needed a safety. He's the only good one, but he's going to be long gone by the time the Packers pick. And then eventually he started to fall down the board. Some other safeties that were garbage started getting pushed up the boards and that benefited the Packers tremendously. So HaHa Clinton Dix might have been one of my most exciting first round picks because it's the first time I really paid attention as the one guy that we all wanted so unbelievably desperately but never thought he'd fall. I mean, it would be the equivalent this year of, I don't even know. I mean, you got, uh, I don't know, Christian Derisaw maybe at, at tackle, who's projected to go like 14th. Maybe like, well, maybe Caleb Farley, but again, he's fallen because of an injury, so that doesn't really count. J.C. Horn might be the guy. JC, let's say J.C. Horn, although it's nowhere near the same comparison because safety was such an unbelievably horrendous position for us. And corner clearly is not with Jair there. It's more of a depth issue than a talent issue. So I don't know if there is a comp. I mean, you could say linebacker like Micah Parsons falls. That might be the best comp available. Anyways, why don't we take a break here? We'll come back and uh, get to some other stuff. Again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you'd like to support the podcast. I just got a brilliant idea yesterday. Um, and it may be moving forward a something as an alternative to Patreon. Very, very excited about it. Um, Probably a little project I'm going to work on by myself may just be a part of the new relaunch. We'll just plan a July 1st thing, but um, yeah, pretty excited about that. But for the time being, we've got a bunch of other things. You can check the description, other ways to help out, um, five-star iTunes review, telling your friends and family. Uh, one of the real easy things you can do is invite people to the pages in the groups and then let the group do its thing. I know you've got friends and family that are Packer fans. Bring them into the group. Invite them to the Cheese and Packers Facebook page. Invite them to the Packernet Podcast Facebook page and the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Just invite, I think there's just a button. You can just invite your friends and family, every Packer fan you know. If a thousand people invite 10 people, pretty simple math, right? So before you forget, just head over there, invite all your friends and family that are Packer fans. Doesn't have to be anything to do with the podcast, it's just a Packers group. Tell them to get in there. We'll just use that as a gateway drug. Then we're going to get them. <laughs> we're going to get them. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. All right, so we got a question from Gooseman. says, what would it look like if the Packers went all in on offense this year, stacking strength on strength? Could that be a viable move to push for a Super Bowl and down the road? I, the only way I can think to answer that is to just revisit where it all went wrong. Go back to Tampa Bay. And, and the problem with that, the, the good and the bad is, as I've said already, I still believe the Packers are the best team in football last year. The issue is not talent. The issue was they didn't show up, and that's a serious problem. So again, if we add in, if we had to add something, what would we add to make it better? And, and the problem is, you look at the players that played, and you say, okay, we have to assume our receivers fall apart and drop everything thrown at them. Our pass rushers can't rush the passer. Our corners are dropping interceptions left and right. Who can we add to help that out? <laughs> I don't know. And the other problem is, we're not going to pull guys. Zadarius and Preston and Rashawn are not all going to get pulled for this rookie guy who hasn't played hardly all year because let's see what happens because we didn't do that last time. So it would have to be a position that could help that that's going to be just a starter. So number two wide receiver is an option. Um, offensive line is certainly an option, probably one of the more important ones because that's where things have fallen apart every single year against San Francisco as well as Tampa Bay. That's been a major issue. Billy Turner in particular, he has been a single-handedly 
a massive part of the reason we've lost against San Francisco and against uh, against Tampa Bay. If you go back to that championship game, there were two sacks given up against the San Francisco 49ers in 2019. Both of them were Billy Turner. 2020 championship game, there were four sacks given up. Two of them were Billy Turner. Two of them were Rick Wagner. If you look at Tampa Bay week six, three sacks given up. One was Billy Turner. One was Jamal. One was Elton Jenkins. Total pressures given up 11. Half of them were Billy Turner, five. If you look at that uh, other game, week 12 against San Francisco, Billy Turner didn't give up any sacks, but neither did anybody else. (laughs) David Bakhtiari actually was the weakest link in that. Now, obviously, he had a really tough matchup, but, you know, second worst, Billy Turner. Of eight pressures given up, uh, Bakhtiari gave up two, Turner gave, or Bakhtiari gave up four, Billy Turner gave up two, or three, I'm sorry. So, yeah, it's kind of twofold. On one hand, offensive line can help massively. On the other hand, Bakhtiari struggled in those games. What do you do about that? You're not going to replace him. He's a freak. He's one of the best in football, and sometimes guys have bad days, but it's always at the wrong time. So it's twofold. Yes, we absolutely need to upgrade our offensive line, and I certainly would not be upset if Billy Turner was, you know, moved on from. I know that's something. The Packers love the guy, and everything's kumbaya and all that nonsense. I'm not a big fan. And if they're not willing to move on, then we're just stuck with them, I guess. But if we can replace everywhere else, we can at least mitigate that one issue. And again, adding another wide receiver gives us that one other thing. Because again, you, you always have that game where everything's kind of falling apart, but thank, thankfully that one guy, you know, Rodgers just with his sheer willpower made it happen. MVS, you know, one time just takes over out of nowhere. Aaron Jones, Jamal, or in this case, hopefully A.J. Dillon, or which he did against Tennessee. Devante, somebody takes over. You get another guy, it just gives you another shot at it. Just another, well, maybe. But when you say all out on offense, there's not a whole lot else to do. We're not going to go running back. We're not going to go quarterback. We can get maybe one wide receiver. And then the rest, we're just kind of talking offensive line, I guess, unless you want to get another tight end. But I don't think we want to throw more guys in that mess. So I'm not entirely opposed to it, but I think it would be kind of upsetting to neglect defense in any way because corner is a big issue. I really would like to upgrade linebacker. Um, Defensive line, we get we got to get Kenny some help. Um, I hate using that as a crutch. It's still inexcusable, his level of play, regardless of who's next to you. Aaron Donald has garbage next to him, and he makes things work. Chris Jones does not have elite players on the defensive line, certainly not next to him, and he's still one of the best defensive linemen in football. So it's a terrible excuse, but we still have to get that up. And if that means getting somebody next to him, if he just can't perform with somebody without somebody next to him, fine, put somebody next to him because we need Pete Kenny back because that was another major issue, right? So, so again, if we revisit that, we have to be able to bring pressure. The other guys that constantly fall apart is the defensive line. It's the trenches that lose it for us every time. Yeah, there's dropped passes. Yeah, there's dropped interceptions. Yeah, there's bad throws. The biggest issues with our losses against San Francisco and against uh, um, Tampa Bay are the offensive and defensive lines. And for all the people saying that toughness is a problem with this team, it's hard to argue with that when trenches are the thing that fall apart. When you're at home against a warm weather team and you're losing in the trenches, there's no excusing that. There's just no excusing that. So I, I guess I'm, I'm out on the idea of just piling on offense, but I, I would not be opposed to going heavy offense, I guess. It feels like it needs to be somewhat balanced, right? I mean, offensive line is a major important thing, but so is linebacker and defensive line and corner. And I'll throw in wide receiver. I wouldn't mind that. Wouldn't mind safety. Wouldn't be horribly offended by tight end, but ideally later, you know, third running back. What I don't care. Who cares? But I, I do think balanced is probably the better way to go. 
Um, we're going to go a little bit off of Patreon because, again, I'm just doing the show because I was bought, uh, you know, but um, I think we're out of questions. If you did ask a question in the Patreon Discord and I didn't answer it, it's because I just haven't scrolled up high enough. Just ask it again. Just throw it back at the bottom of the, the comment section. Um, I think I've done this before, but since we talked about Kamal, we'll go ahead and do it again. JJ says, can you sort the rookie linebacker uh, linebackers last year by grade? Sure. And I know people have missed this because people still argue with me about um, some of the rookies that were drafted and how good they are and um, just just don't generally remember things. So I have 32 linebackers that were drafted last year, and this does include, I believe, undrafted free agents. In order, there are two guys that graded as good. Again, remember, the draft is mostly bad football players, at least in year one. Almost all of them are bad. In fact, only eight of the 32 were 60 and above. Everybody else is below average to straight up hot garbage. Number one on the list who did play a decent amount is linebacker out of Atlanta, Michael Walker with a 74 overall grade, 90 coverage grade, terrible against the run. Number two is Kamal Martin, 73 overall grade, 67 against the run, 67 pass rush, 70 coverage. So he actually graded out well in coverage. I still don't think that's going to be his strength, but he did fairly well when he did it. 69 times he was in coverage, which is actually really high. Uh, that's it. We're done with the 70s. The other 60s, you got Willie Gay out of Kansas City. You got Clay Johnson, which really doesn't count because he played three snaps. Francis Bernard, eight snaps. Again, kind of doesn't count. Sean Bradley in Philadelphia played nearly 100 times. Almost elite as a run defender. Terrible in coverage, but 66 overall grade. Uh, Kaliki Hudson, Washington. Zach Bond, New Orleans. And then we'll we'll call it a 60 but I kind of don't want to because, again, everybody just assumes early round picks have to be good, have to be elite, have to be just, oh, he's going to be so good. So I'm not going to call him a 60. The first under, 59.9, you didn't make it, suck it up. Only 376 opportunities, by the way, because he couldn't even get on the field, is Isaiah Simmons. This guy that is a can't-miss prospect, elite prospect, coverage, run defense, everything. He can do it all. You don't even call him a linebacker. He's just this freakish guy. If there was an equivalent to the the term offensive weapon on the defense, it would be Isaiah Simmons. In fact, we should just call it the Isaiah Simmons. He's a defensive weapon. He's a heat-seeking missile. He wasn't even average. 69 in coverage. He wasn't as good in in coverage as Kamal Martin, fifth-round pick by the Green Bay Packers. Then you have TJ Brunson, Logan Wilson, uh, Cincinnati, Anthony Jennings out of New, uh, New England, Kenneth Murray, who I liked a lot. I didn't think he would actually be that good. I just know that he's my style. He's a very violent football player, and I still have hope for him because he looked fairly decent in other facets of the game. We'll see how it goes. Um, he did grade very well in tackling, had an average run defense grade. I, I, I'm holding out hope. He plays for the Chargers. It'll take a while. That that team just saps talent like nobody else. Malik Harris in Baltimore, uh, and those are the finals in the 50s. Now we get into the 40s. Javin White, who hardly played. Jordan Brooks, the Seattle guy that uh, they took, don't know why. Supposedly, he, oh no, no, definitely. Uh, When I looked at these guys and I graded them myself, which you shouldn't matter what my grades are, he was very, very low. Never, when when they took him in the first round, I couldn't stop laughing. Jacob Phillips, Cleveland. Chris Barnes, Green Bay. 18th, he's in the 40s, but still, uh, better half of the the group. Well, not quite, but he's he's about halfway. Chris Oren, Carolina. Cass Malui. Don't know, he hardly played. Rashad Smith didn't play. Akeem Davis Gaither, who I kind of liked. Um, kind of a longer, lanky guy. 314 snaps. He's the finals in the 40s. Now we get down into the 30s. Tay Crowder for the Giants. 
Blake Lynch for Minnesota, Marcus Bailey, Cincinnati, and Joe Batchy, Philadelphia. Finally, the group in the 20s. 29.7 grade, Patrick Queen out of Baltimore. See, everybody talks about these guys, and everybody runs their mouth about these guys, but then when they don't do it, nobody's going to step up and say anything. The only two things you're going to hear is Patrick Queen actually had a good year, which is just a lie, or they just stop talking about it. Somebody needs to start pulling receipts on this because I'm tired of it. Because I'm sitting here saying that first-round linebackers very rarely pan out. Now, granted, I still want a first-round linebacker because I have hope every year. (laughs) Every year, this guy's going to be different. I just, I can't help myself. But that's just the reality. And then people get mad and they're like, that's nonsense. This guy's good and this guy's good and this guy's good. And then Isaiah Simmons hardly makes it on the field. Patrick Queen's one of the worst guys in football. In fact, if I sort this, the reason I've said he is the worst is because everybody after him doesn't make the cut if you have a minimum snap limit, which would put him the only one in the 20s, by the way. 29.7 is horrific. His coverage grade was a 30. His tackling grade is a 34. His run defense grade is a 29. Finally, you have Chappelle Russell, Amari Cobb, Troy Dye, Christian Welch, and Davion Taylor. Troy Dye was an unbelievably popular uh, option in the draft. A lot of people wanted him for the Packers. I didn't hate Troy Dye either. Um, He worried me about being a smaller prospect but 28 overall grade. And again, some of these guys can can get better. There's no question. Patrick Queen can still be a very good linebacker at some point. Maybe it's just going to take him some time. But at the very least, we need to stop acting like drafting a guy is going to fix things. Draft for the future. You draft for the future. Even if the guy can play year one, it's still more about the future because there's a developmental thing that needs to take place. Very rarely... Very rarely do these guys step up in year one and really contribute. None of these guys, um, with the exception of some of the early picks who were terrible, played a lot. Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen played a ton. Those are the only ones, and they were both horrible. In fact, the next highest snap count, to give you an idea of how little these guys actually played, was Chris Barnes. He played the third most of any rookie linebackers. He played more than Isaiah Simmons and Jordan Brooks, who were first-round picks. You know, same with defensive linemen. And if we sort by guys that actually played, you got, you got 14 guys that played even a little bit. Two of 14 had decent grades. My guy Raekwon did. Your guy Ross Blacklock is the worst in football. Yeah, I'm going to throw that in your face. <laughs> Ross Blacklock got so much love and it just made me angry. I didn't, I just like, why? I don't understand. 30.2 grade. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be humble. But I'm better at this on accident than some of these guys who are doing this like full-time, constantly grinding on this. I had to hear so much about how good Javon Kinlaw is, and I watched that guy got pushed all over the field. I had to hear every Packer fan talk about Ross Blacklock. I heard all about Jordan Elliott, and I'm sitting here banging the table for Raekwon Davis. The season ends, Raekwon's one of the only guys that contributes even a halfway, who's even halfway decent. One of only two guys in the 70s, one of only two guys with a 70 overall pass rush. And I get no credit because everybody's bad takes, they just flush right down the toilet like it never happened. I'm pulling receipts, ladies and gentlemen. Where are my Blacklock fans at? Edge rushers, two out of 11. Chase Young, obviously very, very good. Alex Highsmith is the only other one. AJ Epinesa, terrible. Yutura Gross Matos, bad. Clavon Chason, the worst, the worst cornerbacks, 18 of them, Legereus Sneed and Cam Dantzler are the only ones that were in the 70s. The only ones that graded out as good. Average, Trayvon Diggs and A.J. Terrell. Everybody else is below average and bad. 
C.J. Henderson, who started off solid, was in the 50s by the end of the year. Jeff Gladney, Vikings first round pick that is probably not going to play football anymore, 50. Jeffrey Okuda, can't miss, elite, unbelievable, just unstoppable, best corner prospect we've seen in 50 years, 14th with a 42 overall grade. We need to stop getting so angry because we think we know something. I know this guy's good and you didn't draft him. That's why I I think I mentioned it to, to JJ, maybe I didn't hit send, I don't know. But he was kind of upset about the T.J. Watt thing and how people won't let it go. And again, we did miss. There's no question about it. But the reason Packer fans won't let it go is it's the one time, it's the one time the casual fans that get mad were right. And they don't want you to forget it. They're wrong every other year, but they just keep bringing that up because it's the one time we were right. I wanted a T.J. Watt. You traded the pick and took Kevin King, and that was a bad mistake. I was right and you were wrong. And you know what? They're right. But if you're going to be as vocal about that, why don't you start being vocal about all the times you've been horrifically wrong? There's such a, the level of narcissism in that. Narcissism, I looked it up for both of our benefit. Excessive interest in or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. Obviously, the second part doesn't necessarily apply. But just the arrogance to be so blatant about your bragging and just ignoring that you got, it's it's, it's like, it's like if you shot 15 free throws and you made one and you kept like getting in everybody's face for years about that time I drained that free throw shot. Dude, you missed 14. And to just talk about how like I, I, I got snubbed from the NBA, like this is nonsense. Like I'm so good at bad. Do you remember? Remember in back in 2012 when I drained that shot? That was literally nothing but net. There was no rim involved, brother. Didn't even hear it hit the net. I'm not sure it hit the net. Did it even have a net? Because I didn't hear anything. I get it. And there's nothing wrong with talking about it if you can be a, a, an adult about it. Just be like, dude, I wish we'd have got T. I wish we got T. I wanted TJ too. I did. I wanted TJ Watt. And you know what? I was right. But to then call for a GM's job or to call him trash or to tarnish his legacy because of a decision... When in reality, if we were to compare my decisions, if I were pulling the lever every single pick compared to Ted Thompson or Brian Gutekunst's lever pulling, this this team would be done. This team would be in the in the trash heaps if you or I were in charge of this. At least have that level of humility. Brag all you want, but there has to be some humility there. You cannot go at a human human being on such a dark level. And also have no recognition of your own failings. That's where it becomes narcissism. That where, that's where it becomes some kind of a mental defect. I'm going to sit here and talk about how good I am at this draft stuff, knowing full well that I'm not. But it has more to do with just kind of making fun of everybody else missing. And everybody else that pretends they know stuff. I'm telling you, I know nothing and I'm right more often than you are. So shut your mouth. I made 17 YouTube videos about Raekwon Davis, if you don't believe me. I've got a podcast. Pull the receipts. I don't know what I'm talking about, and neither do you. So let's just relax. JJ, you, you're getting me all fired up here, dude. This is your fault. But I can't, I can't look at, every time I see it, it just, it's so blatant. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at the cornerbacks. They're all bad. And so even if I go back to the, to the last question about, like, how much could it help, or, or even, it, it, there's so much about this one thing. What can we do to go all in? Nothing. They're rookies. You want a rookie to win you a Super Bowl? What are you talking about? 
What kind of a trash team do you have where you got to depend on a rookie to drag you through a Super Bowl? On a team that has Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback, you're going to depend on a rookie to win you a Super Bowl. What in the world are you talking about? And then to go back and tell me that T. Higgins would have helped us beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We lost because we took Jordan Love instead of T. Higgins. Get a hold of yourself. You got to get a grip, man. Take a vacation. Just, Just go do something. Go hang out with your kids. Go on a bike ride. Take a cold shower. I don't know what it's going to take, but oh my goodness. Safeties out of nine, zero were good. Zero. Oh, that's not true. I know. Jeremy Chin, Carolina fans will just lose their mind. He was seventh out of nine, 59 overall grade, 47 run defense grade. They get excited though because his stats are real high. He had five pass breakups, which is the highest of all the safeties. They also don't like to point out that he had six touchdowns given up, which is, the, which is more than any other safety by double what the next highest is. Three was the next highest, but we don't want to talk about that. Well, dude, he's got he's got 89 tackles, man, and 14 pressures. He also has 18 missed tackles, which is the most of any safety. So, so I'm getting all angry. So that's so. <laughs> I remember in college, they you know when when whiskey came into the house, they literally would hide it because I was a fun guy to hang out with in college, but when whiskey was involved, I was angry. Turns out Nyquil creates um hostile podcast nyquil monster and a jj question creates a hostile podcast (laughs) i can just picture him sitting there going i just wanted to know the linebackers (laughs) you're still taking the fall for this anyways i can keep going but we're at about an hour so i feel like for a sunday podcast that about four people are going to listen to um we'll, we'll call it but again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can get in for as little as a dollar a month. Make sure you fill the queue full of questions. Try to keep just questions in the question section because otherwise I'm going to scroll up, see a bunch of conversation, be like, all right, I'm not going to keep scrolling. I don't want to have to read all this. Just keep it questions so that I can quickly refer back to it and uh, hit those for, I won't just save them for the weekend, but for when I need them. And again, if I've if you've asked me a question, also, um, I got to throw this out there. If you've made me some kind of an offer <laughs> or has said that you could do something for me, reach out again. Cause I'm telling my wife like, Oh yeah, this guy said he could do this. Oh yeah. And then this happened. I can't find any of it. I don't know where you guys went, who you are, where you came from. Somebody wanted to buy my sign. I don't remember. Somebody said they could do some work for me. I, get me some stuff. I, I, it's, I don't, I don't know who said it or where they are. I checked everywhere. I can think where people would message me. I can't find it. I have no idea. But if, if you're waiting on me to respond to you, just reach out because I forgot or I can't find you. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Sunday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye.